Amen. I'm going to show you a video clip, actually, from a movie. And if you know the movie, I want you to just scream it out so I can hear you. Uh, the title of the movie, all right? So go ahead. Anyone know? A little louder. It's, it's not a little of the rings. Hobbit, which one? You're in first service, don't cheat, okay? The third one, what's the, anyone know the title? Okay, there you go, stop. You can stop it. Huh? It's the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. High five to you, I don't have a present, so high five. Um, and it's about the five armies, right? The orcs, the ogres, the trolls, the elves, and the men, they all battle together in this epic scene that lasts like 10, 15 minutes. Why am I bringing this up? <laughs> because I don't know if you knew this, but our passage from Joshua 10, the book and the movie is actually based on Joshua 10. I don't know if you knew that. Because instead of orcs and ogres and trolls, the battle is amongst the five kings of the Amorites. And they come to battle the alliance between Gibeon and Israel. Do you see what I, okay, so I'm gonna do something. There's five versus two, just so you get a picture. Because Israel and Gibeon, all of a sudden, they come together. And Gibeon was a great city. So I want you to read with me in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says this, As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and his king as he had done to Jericho and his king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was what? A great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. So did you catch what's going on here? There's a lot of Debrairs and Hebons and Jekishes and Lachishes, and so sometimes you get lost in it, but it's clear what's happening. These five kings are scared because Gibeon is strong by itself, but now it's made alliance with Israel, who just disposed of Jericho and Ai, and they're coming south for them. So before they can come, he's like, let's get us five together, and let's go get Gibeon. Yes? You guys with me? So this is the map, if you could shoot it up, just so, because I'd like for us to digest kind of what's happening, okay? So that's what's happening here. These five kings from the south are coming to Gibeon, and now Gibeon, knowing that they're coming, calls out to Joshua and to Israel and says, come with us, we need you. This is the alliance. We want you to battle, and we need to fight these five kings. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want us to go through this narrative story, not just to understand what it looks like and what God, you know, what the battle looks like and the miracles that happen. That's important, and we're going to learn that. But more than that, we want to take away two things I think that's just very important for us to learn, to develop in our lives, because I believe these two things are hallmarks of a thriving Christian. You guys with me? Yes? I know this is not the first time you heard me, a lot of you, so, it, you know, I do like a little participation. You guys with me? Yeah. yeah, all right, so that's where we're going. 
So the two things that I want to cover this morning is simply this. We're going to see Joshua's commitment to God and the hard work he puts in to carry out God's plan because he's committed to the Lord. And the second thing you're going to see is his faith in a God who is able to do the impossible. And you're going to need both. And you need these two areas of your life. It will help you to walk this life victoriously for God. All right? So that's where we're going. So the first one we want to see is the commitment to God and the hard work that Joshua puts in. Because if you look at the green arrow, you know how long that is? That's about 24 to 26 miles. That's like a marathon. Okay? And so read with me in verse 8. We just read it, but just in case you forgot, it said this. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. So all night, 26 or some miles, walking the marathon with the whole army through darkness, and they come Pre-dawn, they start battling. Have you done anything in the morning pre-dawn? <laughs> it is not effective. You are tired. And if you read the narrative story, they battle for consistently 18 to 24 hours straight. Have you done anything for 18 to 24 hours straight? You could sit and you'll be tired. But Joshua and his people are working and working because they are committed to the battle. Why? Because they're just committed to the battle? No, because he's committed to the Lord. And because he's committed to the Lord, he's able to work hard for his plans. Now, I don't want you to just believe me on that, but I want you to see the heart of Joshua and his commitment to the Lord that's found in Joshua 24. So let's look there. It says this in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. And this is really the heart of Joshua. It says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the heart of Joshua. He's not working hard for the battle because he wants to just win the battle, but because winning the battle is in God's will and God's plan. And he's committed to the Lord. See, when you're committed to something, it kind of follows that you will birth this hard work. For example, I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling. I just had a marriage yesterday night, and it's amazing because I will make these premarital couples do crazy things. I would be like, hey, you got to pray every single night for your marriage, and they will pray every single night. I'll say, hey, you need to read this book because I'll give them a book. I don't want to embarrass them, but I'm doing premarital with Johnson and Crystal. Where are you? Raise your hand. So Johnson and Crystal, I'm doing premarital with them. So I gave them a book. I said, hey, I want you to read this book. They were like, we already read it. I was like, wow. So, I mean, they read like four or five books already because they are what? Committed to each other. And because of that, it, it brings about hard work in their life because of the commitment. Doesn't that happen? 
I even say, hey, you know what, maybe you should go to premarital counseling with a Christian counselor. And there are couples that do that. I'm doing premarital with another couple here, Jonathan and Jamie. Jonathan moved up to San Francisco because he got a job. And I thought to myself, I said, all right, it's probably going to be hard for us to meet. They came up to me and they said, Pastor John, I'm going to fly down every time you want to have premarital. I was like, wow. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> but why are they working that hard? Because of the commitment to one another. And doesn't that work in our lives? That's how it works. I want you to see something. And this is one of my favorite, favorite passages. This is actually one of my fa- first it might be one of my first sermons that I preached here at Crossway. But it's from Proverbs 16.3. It says this. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. It says commit to the Lord, not commit to your plans. Isn't that? And sometimes I, I do this. I commit to my plans, and then I ask God to bless it. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying commit to the Lord. Give him your plans. Give it up. God, whatever you want to do in my life, I want to commit to that. And you see Joshua living this out because he's doing something that's very difficult. Why is he doing that? Because he's committed fully to what God wants. Uh, There was a letter uh, of a communist. He's a young communist, and he uh, broke up with his girlfriend because of his love for communism. I want to read a little excerpt. It's, It's a little funny, but... It says this. It says, we communists do not have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. There is one thing in which I am in dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. It holds on me, grows, not lessens as time goes by. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. That's what I would say is right level of commitment, wrong cause. See, if a, if a man can be committed to a communist ideal, How much more, when we know the living God of the universe, should we be able to say, God, I I, want to be committed to you. And wherever you lead, even if it means that for 18 and 24 hours I have to do something that's difficult or it's costly, I say, yes, Lord. I say, amen, so be it. And that's where we find Joshua. I know this is not easy, but this, is, this has been God's desire for us. If you look at throughout the scriptures, he says crazy things because he wants us to be that committed to him. If you ever look at Luke 14, 26, can we shoot that up? It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. That, that's, a, that's crazy, no? But it's crazier if you consider the actual culture that he's speaking into because it, the culture, family is, I mean, of most importance. You know how you know that? For example, what's Jesus' last name? Anyone? Don't say Christ, please. <laughs> Do not say Christ. That is not his last name. You know what his last name is? Well, he doesn't really have one. What do they call him? Jesus, son of Joseph. Why? Because in that culture, family is very important. You do something wrong, you shame not only yourself, you shame your family. It's a culture of filet of piety. It's very important. And so what he's literally saying here is not to hate your brother or sister, because some of you might be like, I hate my brother. Yes, this is awesome. No, that's not what God is saying. What Jesus is saying is he's using a contrast tool. It's a grammatical tool where he literally, you love something so much that everything else in comparison looks like hate. That's what he's doing. So he's looking at the culture and saying, even the most important thing in your culture, even if it's that good compared to me and the commitment level to me, it should look like hate. You know, there was a period in my life where the only thing I, I wore was from Target or Old Navy. This is not a joke. And I was fine with it. Until my mom told me that, you know, I'm never going to get married. <laughs> this is not a joke either. I'm not even making this up. So one day she picked me up at UCLA and she wanted to have lunch. And she works in K-Town, so she came by. And when she picked me up, the first thing, she just looks so disgusted. She looks at me and says, what are you wearing? I was like, what? <laughs> right? You know, most guys, it's comfortable. It's fine, right? It's a big deal. We're having lunch. We're not going to Laurie's. We're going to go to food court. It's fine. She's like, we're not going to go eat lunch. So she took me to this mall called the Galleria, if you know anything about it. And so she was like, I'm going to buy you clothes. Because I need you to get married. <laughs> I'm not even making this up. So I was like, Mom, I don't want to do this. I just want to eat. She takes me to this shop. And you know, have you ever walked into a shop where you're like, I don't belong here? A anyone? You know, I feel like that at South Coast Plaza a lot. I, I walk in, I'll be like, nope, this is really well beyond me. And so it was one of those stores I walked in. There was nothing in there that I wanted to wear. I, I, and this is not even an overstatement. I literally, I looked at everything and I was like, I would never, you could pay me $100, I would never wear this. My mom said, I'm gonna buy you something. So you know what she bought me? She bought me a leather jacket that had this fur collar. <laughs> and then she bought me a shirt that had a V-neck, it's really low, and it had all this like weird scribbles, and it was like discolored. And then she bought me jeans that had like, you know, they had cuts and rips and stuff, and I was, I, I kid you not, I looked at the mirror to myself, and I was like, you're a fool. <laughs> I walked out wearing that. <laughs> I went on campus. My friends saw me. <laughs> they laughed. They had a really good laugh. But check this out. When you love Nordstrom's, Old Navy looks foolish. So let's say like, uh, where's Chris Hacks, our worship leader? 
you know, let's say Chris only wears Versace. Let's say he just likes silk from Versace. That's what he, so I come up to him and say, hey, bro, there's this deal at Target, 15 bucks for a t-shirt. He's gonna be like, what? Is it silk? I said, no, it's not silk. And the words he's gonna use to describe it are gonna make it seem like what? He hates that thing. He might not hate it, but because of his love and affection from Silk at Versace, in comparison, Target and Old Navy can't compare. That's what he's doing here. See, for all of us in this room, I don't know where you stand in your commitment level, but there are things that you're committed to in your life where you are working really hard for that because you are fully committed to it. You're engaged. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your golf game or something, but you are giving a lot of yourself to it. When you take a step back, how much more should we give to our God who has saved us, died for us, and loves us? Amen? And we see Joshua willing to work hard because he is committed to the craft. And he's saying, I don't care what everyone else does. Me and my household, we're going to be committed and serve the Lord. And I hope that that's where God would find all of us. And in that way, we would work hard for him. Because hard work without commitment is legalism. But commitment with hard work makes sense. And that's where we want to be. Point two, you're going to see that in Joshua, he has great faith in a God to do the impossible. Because I want you to follow along in the story. In verse 12, he's going to pray a prayer to God. It's a prayer. Because look at verse 12, it says this. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. So he's speaking to the Lord. It's a prayer. But I want you to see the context of why he's praying this. Because he's battling and the sun is going down. If the sun goes down, it's complete darkness and the enemy has a chance to escape. And all the progress that they made in the battle is lost. Does it make sense? Because there's no lights, there's no street lights. And so it's complete darkness. So as he's battling, battling, and the sun is going down, there's less and less light. He's thinking to himself, we can't accomplish what God wants. So I'm gonna pray this bold prayer. And so he prays this, sun stands still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Do you understand what he's doing? He's praying for the sun to stop. Now. Look, if you know science at all, the sun doesn't move, right? We revolve around it, okay? So don't get caught up in that. That's not the point of the story. What he's literally saying is, I just need more sunlight. So God, would you do a miracle to create more sun and time for sun so that we can finish what you have for us? Crazy, audacious, bold, but one of the things that I want you to see in this is he believes that God can do it. I want to remind you of something, my brothers and sisters. God hears your prayers. And nothing is too great or impossible for him. Do you believe that? It was a question, but... um, 
It's okay. Um, I struggle sometimes. Uh, I'll share a story with you. Um, I got a call late one night, and, uh, you know, it was a previous church member from, uh, you know, my home church, and she called me, and she said, Pastor John, I need you to come to the hospital. And these are one of those phone calls that you just dread as a pastor. Said, um, my daughter, who's, she's not even one, um, fell asleep at the daycare, stopped breathing. Uh, she's in a coma, brain dead, no activity. If you could come and pray for her. So I drove. I took about an hour, went to L.A., and walked in. And as soon as I talked to the nurses, I already know, I mean, this is not good. This is not going to end well. Walk in, I see the baby. She's not even one, man, and there's tubes everywhere. And so the family is there and says, Pastor John, can you pray? Can you pray for a miracle? Can you pray for healing? And so what do I do? Anyone? Do I say, oh, yeah, it's not going to work out. Hey, I'll see. Good luck. No, I pray. But you see, the battle within me is, do I believe that God can heal this girl, which naturally does not look like healing is possible? And you see, that's the battle we're talking about. Because all of us will be faced with a situation in your life where it doesn't, with all the natural realm, things that we know, science, medicine, it will look like, man, it's not possible. But with God, it's possible. Do you believe and trust that he will answer? And maybe some of you guys are there right now where you have stuff in your life you need God to work, but you are struggling to trust him in that. We've got to learn to believe and trust, my brothers and sisters. Let me share a verse with you. Hebrews 11.6. This is a very, very foundational, very important verse. And it says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Soak that in. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, we need faith and trust for salvation. Yes? And that pleases God. But even in our lives, I want you to know, we need to have faith and trust in every situation, and when we have faith and trust in God, He's pleased, He exalts, He's worshiped. This is very difficult, and this is something that we need to pray over, but I do believe that we can learn a very valuable lesson from Joshua here, which is sometimes circumstantially, it doesn't look like it's working out. But he's like, God, I know you. I'm committed to a God that can do the impossible. So that's how I'm going to pray. I do need to mention one thing, though. There's a hidden profound truth here that I do want to really fully explain. Because there will be a wrong expectation and application of this passage if you just walked away and said, hey, I'm just going to pray every crazy prayer. 
I remember when I was in college, uh, I didn't study for a midterm. It was a very important class. Uh, I don't remember how well I did, but uh, I, I was struggling to study, and so that night I was praying frantically because I was like, there's no way I'm going to pass this. So I was like, God, I distinctly remember this. I don't know, I must have been really maybe foolish in college, but I was like, make it snow like crazy on this campus at UCLA. That we could not have class. God, would you just, if you love me, would you just make it? This, that's a wrong application. This is not what, that woman at work, God, is just horrible. Would you just bring your hailstone one more time, just on our and bam! Yes. Pray. That's not, that's a wrong application. You know why God answers? God answers this audacious and bold prayer because it is in line with God's will. That's why he answers. And you see, this is why you need both sides. You need the commitment as well as faith and trust as we walk this life. Because when you are committed to him, you get to know him, and then your prayer life changes, and you stop praying less and less, I should say, about your stuff, and you start praying about kingdom stuff. Your prayers start looking like stuff that would be aligned with what God wants. Because if you look at Joshua's prayer, it's all God-centered. He doesn't pray, God, make it easier. He doesn't say, help me to get some rest. He doesn't say, give us protection. He doesn't pray any of those things. He is not praying about his stuff. He's praying, God, I want your will to be accomplished. Stop the sun. When our prayer life is in line with what God desires for us, God will answer. This is why in Matthew 6, when the disciples say, teach us to pray, what is the first thing that Jesus says? Yeah, you should, I'll teach you. Hallowed be my name. Thy what? Thy kingdom come. And what? Thy will be done. That's, that's our prayer life. See, when you come to know him and you're committed to him and you start to walk in a way where you start to understand what God wants, you start praying in a way like Joshua for God-centered things. I, I want to challenge you with that because... Um, I do believe, uh, not that you can't pray about personal stuff. God hears us, and there are many times where God wants us to bring our stuff to him. That's not wrong. But if that's all our prayer life is about, we're not fully taking advantage of the beauty of prayer. We are not. Because then it becomes so self-centered and absorbed, and you miss out on why God would give us that communication line. You know, one of the beautiful things I love when my children can share and they start seeing things beyond themselves. I love that. And it bugs the heck out of me when they're just so consumed in their own world. For example, we were having breakfast for my wife's birthday yesterday and we had brunch. And so I put some pancakes and then so, uh, you know, put some syrup on Maddie's plate. I took a piece of my uh, pancake and I dipped it in her syrup. She gave me the death stare. Like, how dare you dip your pancake in my syrup? I was like, girl. <laughs> but I love it when I could see, like, she'll, she'll pick up something and say, oh, I want to buy this for Riley. Not that she could buy it, but uh, I want to buy this. Kind of, I know Riley likes the color green. And it's beautiful. And you see, when God looks down at us, 
That's why God always wants to point us to kingdom things first. God first, others second, and then us what? After. That's the beauty of kingdom-mindedness. That's the beauty of what God desires. And here, we see Joshua, a little bit of that, showing his prayer life. Not to say, look, God, just escape me from this battle. This is horrible. I'm so tired. It's like, God, you have called me to this. I'm committed to you. Just make it stop so we can continue to do what you have called us to do here. Because I'm not about me. I'm about you. And I pray that our lives, our prayer lives, the way we walk, what we're committed to, the time that we give to certain things, it'll look like Joshua as he battles. And you see what happens. God does the miracle, and they win the battle. Look, God is working for us, and God will give us victory. And he's calling to each and every one of us and saying, look, when you're committed to me, that's the best place to be. Walk with me, stay in line with me, and know that in me, you have all that you need. You know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm 23, and I'll end with this. You know, verse 1 is very powerful. Do you remember what it says? The Lord is my shepherd. And then what's the next part? I shall not want. And that's very powerful. When the Lord is, you're committed to the Lord as your shepherd, as the one that you are saying, he's my everything. I will do as he wants, as he guides me. Everything changes. The things that you desire changes. The way you look at life changes. And you realize, I have everything in my shepherd. So I will live this life as he desires. That's my prayer for all of us, that we will slowly start to learn this in our lives. It's not easy, these two things. But I know that God desires this for all of us. Will we pray and will we desire and push our lives in a way with his grace and the Holy Spirit's help to walk in this way? Let's pray together. Usually I just pray for us at this time and then we go to offering, but I don't want to do that. I want to give you some time to pray, okay? God is here. Take some time and just make it real. Make it genuine. It doesn't have to be fancy Christian words. Joshua's prayer was so short, but it was genuine. It was real. And so I want to challenge all of us here. Whatever it is, to take it to God. Maybe you need to pray for someone. Maybe God is placing something about his kingdom on your heart. Let's lift that up. Or maybe you're so consumed with yourself and you need to say, God, I need your help to just let go of those things. I want to give you some time. Let's pray through that and respond to the word of God. Let's pray together.
Secondly, um, we don't do this often, but I, I think it is important. Um, maybe you really are struggling to trust the Lord. Uh, maybe life has made you jaded. Maybe it's hard to see the hand of God in your life. Uh, if that's you, uh, we just want to pray for you. Um, and I want you to just raise your hand. You know, if that's you, just say, you know what, it's really hard for me to just trust God right now. I, I, I need to really find some brothers and sisters that can pray for me because it, I'm just having a hard time seeing the Lord. If that's you, if you don't mind, just, you just raise a hand, okay? I just want to spend some time just praying for you. I see a few hands, and so I, I'm going to pray for us. And for you guys, for the rest of you, if you want to maybe just mind, just praying just for the brothers and sisters in this room, that we would be people that, that trust, that are able to see the hand of God in our lives, and to believe that really He's our shepherd, and He is enough. Father God, I want to pray for our family members here who are maybe struggling to see your hand. Maybe situations or circumstances in their life make it difficult to see your plan, to see your love, and to see your care and intervention in those areas. God, we thank you for the reminder this morning that you can work miracles on our behalf and you love us and you are for us. And so I pray for those struggling with those sort of doubts, God, that Jesus, by your blood and by your grace, that you would eliminate those and that you would birth and bring about faith and renewal of spirit and trust in their lives and in their hearts and in their minds so that as they walk through these difficulties, that they would be able to see your hand and walk by your strength, God. Would you bring that about? And we know you can do it. Give us eyes to see you clearly, even in the battlefield of chaos and life, God. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.